welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the World of Speakers. Today, I am super excited because not only is this a podcast, but today it is a boatcast because our guest is podcasting in from his boat. So we're going to call this a boatcast. His name is Dustin Reynolds. He is an international yachtsman. He's an inspirational speaker, and he's an environmental activist. Dustin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today there on your boat? Hey, I'm doing great, Ryan. Thank you so much. I heard a podcast that you were on with John Arndt on Good Jibes, and it was a fascinating podcast learning about your story, your journey. And when I heard that you're also a speaker talking about this, I was like, we got to get you on the show. I'm excited for people to get to know you and for us to just chat about how you're taking your experiences and speaking about them across the world as your adventures continue. In order for people to get to know you, like all my guests, I like to start with a story that shaped you. So what's something in your life that you can look back and be like, damn, that really shaped who I am today? Yeah, I guess I'll go back to probably the most obvious. I'm now a double amputee that just finished sailing around the world alone. But probably- Wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Double amputee circumnavigated the world. And am I correct to remember that you're the first and only person who's done that? I'm the first and only to do it as a double amputee, and I'm one of about 300 people to have ever done it. Damn. Well, hey, we'll just take a minute and have some props for that. Mad props. All right, get back to your story. What originally started me on this journey was I was hit by a drunk driver back in October of 2008, and I was riding my motorcycle home, a restaurant in Waikoloa, and the drunk came across the center lane in a big lifted truck. It hit me head on in my own lane. And my arm flew about 50 feet from the scene of the accident, and I was left for dead on the side of the road. I don't remember the actual collision, but there was a moment where I came to and I screamed for help a few times and there was nobody there. And I grabbed my cell phone, which happened to still be in my pocket and thankfully survived. And I called 911. And just before I hit send on the phone to like make this decision, I thought about it. I actually remember this time where I'm like, do I really want to make this call? My arm is missing. I knew my foot was badly damaged. I was thinking about, you know, what I was about to go through. And I obviously made the call since I'm here talking to you. And um, even when I was in the hospital, they, the ambulance was there in 20 minutes. It was about a, sorry, the ambulance was there in six minutes. And then it was about a 20 minute drive to the hospital. And, you know, they gave me a bunch of scans because I had a lot of internal bleeding, so they couldn't really see anything in the scans. But they knew I had aspirated, which is vomiting into your lungs, which is a 50-50 survival. They knew I had internal bleeding and uh, punctured lung. And the doctors even told me, they said, you know, your chances of survival aren't that great. You know, they were saying that the aspiration alone is a 50-50 survival rate. You have a ton of internal bleeding and you have lung damage or like, you know, do you want to just stay up with your friends, you know, until you die? And, you know, I told him, I said, you know, guys, I made this decision on the side of the road when I called you. And I think when I'm shaping my life, you know, at that time where I was making this decision of whether or not to live or die, when I reflect back on it, you know, the things I thought about were the hardship I was about to go through. 
But I obviously didn't know I was going to turn out to sail around the world alone and, you know, become a record holder and start to get like, I have more opportunity now in my life than I did the day before that person hit me. And so even though it was perceived as this horrible thing to get hit by a drunk driver and lose your arm and leg and have your health insurance company see you for half a million dollars, you know, put me on this different life path, which I think potentially turned out to be better than the life path I was on. You know, in sailing, one of the truisms is that we don't have control over the wind. And I always find that as analogous to life. But you do have an opportunity to make a decision whether you're going to go out or not. (laughs) Make a decision of how well you prepare your boat to go out. When you're out there, you have the opportunity to adjust your sails. And, you know, I can't help but think of that situation as you literally making a decision to get out there knowing that the wind is blowing probably 150 knots on your nose. (laughs) And I think that's quite a moment to have and then to reflect on and remember and to be able to share with people too. I mean, the, your ability to share this even here now and, you know, on the stage, it's a powerful thing to share because not all of us are in a situation where we end up on the street with our arm 50 feet away and having to make that decision. So just the power in that story itself, I think, lends itself to having so much value when it's shared with others. I'm curious, has it been easy for you to share? Does it get easier? Is it still hard? Because it's got to be you know, front and center. It's right there. Is it something that you've come to full terms with and it is now this total positive, more opportunities as you're looking forward? It has gotten easier. You know, I've told this story quite a few times now in different ways. Usually I haven't gotten to the point where I'm polished with saying the same thing over and over again. And I don't know if I'd really want to get that way anyway. There are definitely times where it still chokes me up at random. You know, I'll be talking to someone about it and I'll start tearing up from it. And then I could say, you know, the next five times and be completely fine with it. So it's definitely still affects me. I still have a phantom limb pain. So I have this residual like chronic pain from the accident. And so I think sometimes mm. when that's acting up, you know, it, it hits me a little bit harder. Well, let's talk about sailing for a minute before we dive into your advice on the art of speaking and then building your speaking business. <laughs> Tell us how you went from literally a motorcycle to a sailboat and how that kind of transpired and then what inspired you to to take that circumnavigation. And I know that was not an easy feat and it was a feat over a period of time. What's the high level on that adventure? So transitioning from where I was and, you know, you gave it that storm analogy being 150 knots on the nose. (laughs) And it really was at that moment. And I don't realize how long it was going to last. You know, that storm lasted about four years. I was you know, the IRS came after me because I didn't file my taxes that year. You know, I was being denied medical care that risked my life. It was really difficult to get prosthetics. Health insurance companies don't like paying for prosthetics. They're expensive. And so they delay everything as much as they can. And so I'd break a prosthetic and then end up in a wheelchair for a month waiting for the health insurance company to approve a new one. And it made the recovery process really difficult. And about four years after the accident, I did my bankruptcy. I did a, a reconstructive surgery on my leg, which made the prosthetics a lot more comfortable. And maybe a few months later, I paid off my last payment to the IRS, complete that. And at that moment, like for about four years, I was just getting to the next day. I was just, it seemed like this insurmountable task, you know, getting rid of all these things and like actually start making progress. 
And suddenly I was debt free. I was feeling stronger as being able to go for hikes without limping the next day or, you know, potentially not being able to wear the leg the next day. And so I was like, okay, well, what now? And so I had a carpet cleaning business and a fishing boat, and um, both of which were at this point four years out of maintenance. And I tried to get back into carpet cleaning, but the boat with the machine, the carpet cleaning band was in such bad shape that, you know, every time I go do a job, something on it would break down. And I had no cash, no credit since I just went bankrupt. And so I had no way to really invest back into the companies. And so I just started looking for something else to do. And I randomly came across a website of people who had set records sailing around the world alone. And I was like, hey, you know, just go do that. There was also this Lewis Black comedy special that I watched just before, like, making this decision. And he had this really funny bit on, like, rebuilding the economy. And he says, you know, you know, this is back, you know, 2012 or so, where it's right during the financial crash. And he was saying, you just need to build this big effing thing. You know, you build this big effing thing. People from all over come and see the big effing thing. And people build a big effing thing restaurant, a big effing thing spa. And they'll, you know, and people will come and see the big thing, go to the restaurant and spa, and it's going to rebuild the economy. And I went back to that website. And I was like, this is my big effing thing. I'm just going to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. But for somehow, this is going to help me out in the long run. So you bought a boat. <laughs> yeah, so I bought a $12,000 1968 35-foot Allberg. It was like every bit of $12,000 boat. I might have even overpaid and uh, decided to sail around the world by myself. And I learned to sail off of YouTube and books and did a one-month trip around Hawaii with a friend who also didn't know how to sail. And then I threw the lines and took off. <laughs> wait, wait, the person who you took out on your maiden voyage around Hawaii to test out also didn't know how to sail? No, no. He had zero sailing experience as well. There was a funny story in there too, because I he was also my roommate. It was my friend Brandon. And one day he like turns on the TV and I was telling my friends and family members I knew how to sail. And not, I mean, I didn't really mean to be dishonest, but I didn't want to worry them either. You know, so Brandon goes on the TV one day and pops up the YouTube channel and there's all these instructional sailing videos on the YouTube thing. <laughs> he looks at me, he's like, you don't know how to sail, do you? I was like, well, yeah, you know, I do now. I watch the videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that what I'm hearing is stories. It sounds like, you know, the you have more stories than you probably know what to do with. And each time you tell these stories, there's probably new things to uncover and new ways that they come out. And I think that's what really is so exciting about your position to be an inspirational speaker with more stories than the next person. And so I want to transition a little bit to your style of speaking, you know, your approach, anything that you know that works for you. And in all transparency, I understand you're building your business. Typically, we'll have people on the show that are already well fast and well beyond into the upper echelons that we're learning from. But I truly believe we can learn from you just as much. And so when it comes to taking your story and sharing it, what are some of the things that you find works for you? Because you've already got me entertained. You've already got me almost teared up. You've already brought me through this emotional roller coaster. And we're just talking on a podcast. But talk to me about your process. What are the, some of the things that you've learned or that you like doing when it comes to sharing your stories? I like letting people know that this world is an amazing and safe place. You know, I like having a message that 
people in general are really good. We see a lot of division on TV and media. And, you know, I visited 36 countries in the last seven years and was a guest in these countries. And sometimes for long periods of time, I was in Indonesia for 10 months. I was in Thailand for a year. I spent a year in Africa, like Madagascar, Mozambique, and South Africa. And everybody was always kind. Everybody always wanted to help. I was just surrounded by generosity just by going out to sea by myself. And essentially, I wasn't really by myself. You know, there was all these people helping. And even when I did my crowdfunding, I was able to build up enough crowdfunding money to buy the new boat when I needed it. And I think the thing I would like to pass on is just that it's able, if we don't get in our own way, like if we don't have this negative attitude, the people out there are really good. And this world is really safe. Like I never saw an act of violence in seven and a half years. I did get boarded twice by pirates in the Solomon Islands, but they weren't armed. They were just trying to steal stuff off the boat at night. And um, they were just poor. And they, you know, once I threatened them, you know, they jumped off the boat and back in their own. And, you know, and we actually ended up having a bit of a conversation. And I think that what I'm trying to work on as a public speaker is that, you know, how to get through some adversity, how not to get in your own way. And this world is a fairly safe place if we just get out there and travel and spend time with others. You know, people are really kind. You know, people are really mean on the internet and the media. But, you know, when you're sitting at a dinner table with somebody, they're really nice. <laughs> you know, it's like all that meanness and harshness kind of goes away. Okay. I want to dive more into the stories and your methodology. I want to know how you document your stories, right? Like the pirate stories. Did you write it down? Do you have a certain methodology? Is it just all in your brain? Do you journal? Do you take videos? Do you take pictures? Because I think it's fascinating to learn how people document their stories. And with 36 countries in seven years, my head would be spinning to remember like year six from year three. Do you have a process for documenting the stories or are they just all in your head? You know, I'm still working on this, to be honest. And um, I do, I'm working on a book and I have a blog. And so you know, I've kept those up and working on the book as well. Like as I'm writing, I remember more and more details. And sometimes like whatever chapter of the book I'm on, whatever stories I'm writing at that time will pop up into my next talk or next interview just because it's fresh in my brain. And I even, I gave a talk at a place nearby a few days ago and um, I set up this Google slide slideshow thing. I bought a clicker and I was going to be all prepared for the speech. And as soon as I got there, it says, you know, will not work offline because <laughs> it didn't have internet. I was like, oh, great. And so <laughs> I ended up having to spitball the whole speech. And um, I had it all down in my head. But, you know, I was using the slides as a time reference because I did this once in South Africa as well. I gave a speech for a college in Richards Bay, South Africa. And the teacher who asked me to do this talk said, Hey, will you come speak to my class? I was like, yeah, of course. And I threw some slides on a thumb drive and just went like, I didn't really prepare anything. Cause I thought I was going to be talking to like 20 or 30 kids. It turned out to be the senior class in an auditorium with a big screen and a stage. And I was like, Oh yeah, I was not prepared for this at all. So I wrote down like on a little, uh, just yellow piece of paper. Like I tried to do a timeline of stories, you know, just to kind of remind myself where I was. And I'm honestly a bit nervous public speaking. So I went up there and I started talking. And by the time I got stumped, I looked down and I was already at the end of my list. You know, I, I missed a bunch of stories in the middle, but then to go back, I would have had to go back in the story and, you know, kind of restart the timeline somewhere else. 
And instead, I was thankfully the kids had a lot of great questions. You know, I tried to just wrap everything together and then start asking for questions and it ended up working out. You may say that you're nervous about public speaking, but I will let you know that just as you were probably nervous sailing around Hawaii with a friend who also didn't know how to sail seven and a half years later, 36 countries and, you know, a new record, you're probably a little bit more comfortable sailing than you were in that first nervousness, right? Yeah, I was definitely nervous when I first left Hawaii. Now it's going sailing to another country. Is like it, it's just a chore. Like it's like driving to the grocery store, you know, you're like, okay, I got to go do this now. And I don't think sailing is really that dangerous either. There's a perception of danger because not that many people do it. But in all honesty, I think it's probably more dangerous in city traffic than it is crossing an ocean. Your nervous energy on stage is understandable. We're all nervous. But the trick and the flip that you'll see happen is that the more that you do it, the more these podcasts, the more that you share it, those same nerves will be there. I just think that you'll start to interpret them as excitement. And a new stage will be like a new island. And the things that are new... You know, I talk with a lot of people who are becoming professional speakers and even professional speakers. I think we're all nervous at a certain point, but when we become less nervous, I feel that we become more excited. And so I think that that's something just to recognize that we all recognize. But if you look at that parallel, I think the more you do this, your nerves will turn to excitement. And that's one of the fun things that I enjoy about speaking because when you're in front of hundreds or thousands of people and the pressures and all the eyes are on you, the nerves turn to excitement. And then all of a sudden you, it just kind of becomes addicting. And then you want that next rush. And then just like sailing after that next Island, where's that next stage? Yeah, that's really cool. Nerves are a good check. Another thing just on nerves, it actually tells you that you're taking the situation seriously, that you put importance on it. Because if you didn't give a shit, then like you wouldn't be nervous, but you actually give a shit about the students. You actually give a shit about your audience. You actually care enough and that creates some nerves. So that's just a good reminder, not just for you, but for everybody listening that nerves just shows that you really care about what you're doing. Well, that sounds good. And I do. <laughs> I do have a question for you around picking stories. Do you have a certain criteria when you go through knowing that you're documenting them, you write, you think about them as they come up? Your problem is that you have too many stories. What is your process to narrow them down to the ones that make the talks? Oh, there's definitely, uh, you know, if there's a lot of swear words involved, I won't tell it at schools. If there's something that I could see would potentially be offensive. You know, I have a story where, <laughs> I don't know if I should say it, the boat that I sold, you know, when, when I bought this boat had sunk. And then a bunch of porno magazines came out of the boat and landed on a Muslim fishing village. <laughs> and it's one that it's hard to tell. Like it's hard to pick your audience for that story, but it's it's a really funny one. Yeah, I definitely try to weigh out how and where to tell my stories. And for sailors as well, there's some things that are technical for sailing that if they're non-sailors, they you know the audience wouldn't get it. Talking about the self-tailing winches on the mast or the boom or whatever. So those are things that only really resonate with other sailors. Uh, non-sailors usually like to focus on storms, pirates your favorite places, unique animals. And so for non-sailors, that's what I'll focus on. For sailors, I'll generally focus on anchorages, remote places that no, most people have never heard of, and even some of the crossing techniques when it comes to currents or wind or weather. Pick your stories with your audience in mind. That's a key part of a successful talk. Otherwise, you'll bore people out of their mind. Yes, I would imagine so. <laughs> Yeah, if I told the school a bunch of stories about weather windows and 
yeah, self-tailing winches and all that stuff. They would have no idea what I was really talking about and be bored to tears. Now, in your quest to understand the whole world of speaking, did you also, like, if I looked at your YouTube browser, would I uncover a whole bunch of how-to when it comes to speaking? You would see me doing a lot of research on how comedians do their specials. And this is something that I kind of realized a while back that comedians, you know, because I always wondered like why you would see like Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock, like at a small bar, like doing comedy. And it wasn't until later I realized like while listening to a podcast that you know, that's how they work out their material, you know, so they'll go do these small events, see what people laugh to, what people relate to. And then structure that into their big specials. And I like the way they bring things together as well. And I started doing this in my speeches where, you know, I'll tell an uncomfortable joke in the beginning of the speech. I'll say, I thought I got this great deal on a motorcycle, but ended up costing me an arm and a leg. And <laughs> I would. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's funny. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's no, a way to set the tone. It, okay. That's the response <laughs> I really like. But Honestly, in a lot of places that gets crickets, you know, people are too uncomfortable to laugh at it. But right. I say that in the beginning, just to get that out there, try to shake some of the nerves out. Halfway through the speech, I'll tell a story about like me making a decision whether to live or die and how my life is going to go from this. It's not necessarily good or bad. And then I'll close the speech with, you know, hey, maybe it's even worth paying an environmental, you know, where my life has gone in the meantime. And so, and I notice comedians doing this a lot where they'll, tell a joke beginning that doesn't necessarily hit but then they'll come back to it two or three times and by the third time you know it really hits in the end so i've been watching that uh, i've been watching david goggins because he's just wild and yeah, really energetic and yeah and i've done i've watched a bunch of keynotes speeches by random people and so i been trying to get an idea of what I want my style to be, but I really like how the comedians structure their specials. And so I think I kind of want to structure, you know, my speeches in the same way. Interesting. One thing that comes to mind that is a technical term that I learned long ago, and, you know, I always share things that I learn when I can, but there's this concept of called what's called an open loop and then closing the loop. And so oftentimes there's a comfort that comes with you when you end very similar to where you began, there's also this concept of the law of latency and the law of recency. So here's how those combine. In general, people remember what you say in the beginning and they remember what you say in the end. And that's why it's so important to nail your beginning and nail your end so that when they think back, they're like, wow, I, that was impressive. I know we don't like to admit it, but in the middle, sometimes people just don't remember as much, right? Like that's the reality. And so a very powerful tool, which you've tapped into here is starting with something that then you sort of finally close the lid on at the end. And it could be thematically, it could be based on a story. But another thing that might be interesting for you to play with is creating an open loop. So let's say that you go, three-fourths to the story, and then you talk about how at that moment, you know, the drama's there, and then I lost my limb overboard, and whatever that is, there's this moment, and then you just stop, and you're like, well, we'll get back to that later, and everybody's like, ah, what, you just, <laughs> you left me hanging, and then you go dig into the middle, you go around, you have these lessons, and you come back, and then you can just channel back and be like, as soon as my limb went overboard, 
and you just kind of pick it back up. So it's almost this way of wrapping the whole talk in a little piece that you get them excited and then you hold it back from them and then deliver it in the end. But a closed loop is something that from an audience standpoint, they don't really know, but it just really resonates. And I love doing that. So I'm glad you're you're finding that as part of what you're naturally doing. I like that idea too, of leaving them hanging and coming back to it. Dave Chappelle did that in one of his specials as well. He had this thing on, he did a, like he said that he had four occurrences where he met OJ Simpson. He told three of them and he ends a special. <laughs> then he runs back on stage. Wait, 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 there's one more. <laughs> yeah. And then it killed, you know, it absolutely killed in the end. I was like, oh, that was such a good idea. <laughs> well, this just goes to show that whoever you are, whatever stage you are with your speaking <laughs> or sailing, check your YouTube history and you can judge about how far you are along. You know, I'm a geek. I love YouTube for a number of reasons. I even had a situation where in the middle of the pandemic, my engine crapped out and my normal mechanic basically said, I can't even get there for six months. And so I was faced with a choice of a broken boat or YouTube. And so I YouTubed, I ended up taking the whole thing apart. And so I was so frightened and YouTube was my guide and I have a new relationship with my boat as a result. So that same new relationship can come with putting in the work by just researching, seeing what people are doing. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I've done the same thing where my boat work is almost always learned by YouTube. I had very little experience with any of it, including diesel mechanics. A lot of times, even if you hire someone to do it, you end up having to fix their work. And so just by learning it yourself, it made things a lot easier. Same with like watching other speakers. I like picking up other traits that they do and things that affect me and things that, you know, I would maybe like to incorporate into my own style. There's a conference that you should have on your radar. It is the Content Marketing Conference. And a gentleman by the name of Byron Wright puts it on. I've spoken there the last three years. I'd be happy to make an intro. And one of the cool things about this conference is that they have a full comedy track. Like they have comedy keynotes. They have comedy breakout sessions. And there's this whole like (laughs) people who come in who are comedians. And there's such an emphasis on the power of humor and content. And I think you would totally dig it, especially if you're into following comedians and stuff. But my dad always told me something. My mom and dad are both educators, but my dad would always say, Ryan, if you can get them to laugh, you can get them to learn. And there are so many opportunities for humor that I think we just don't, we skip over or it's really too challenging to make it hit or you're afraid to make it hit because you're putting yourself out there. But knowing those dynamics can be fascinating. So I'd love to see you speak there and maybe in the humor comedy keynote section. I think that'd be good. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to just, and I'd love to see everybody else too and just see how everyone else is doing things. Totally, totally. Hey, well, speaking of stages, let's transition to talk about the business. Tell us the things that you're doing that are working, some of the stuff you're doing that doesn't work, and then we can kind of dive into it. All of my speaking gigs so far have been word of mouth. You know, either schools or like I did a few in South Africa for a beverage company that just wanted to speeches on resilience. And I'm actually in the stage now where I'm trying to figure out how to market myself. Also, I've had a few agencies reach out to me. I had like two people in New York have reached out and asked, you know, wanted to sign me as an agent. And then the other one is like a speaker's agency. And um, yeah, I'd be curious to see what other people's experiences are with those type of things because I haven't actually signed with anyone yet. And I have a few speeches coming up just from people reaching out, but 
yeah, all my marketing so far, I've gotten a fair bit of media just for finishing my trip around the world. And I've had people reach out and ask me if I'd like to speak. One thing we can speak on a little bit is the bureau or non-bureau. I have still yet to make the bureau jump. And the way I do things is a little bit different. And the reason why I'm able to still get traction and get gigs is that I've really put myself out there and built my own personal brand and acted as my own PR media team and sort of initially chased down a lot of gigs and eventually got to a point where gigs would come and find me. I know a lot of people who are very successful with the bureaus, and I know a lot of people who are not successful with the bureaus. The quality of the bureau and how high you are ranked within the bureau, I think, is one of the most important things. I know people who are with more than 10, more than 15 bureaus, but don't necessarily get traction. And that's because they are a small fish in a big pond. So my thoughts, if you are interviewing and having people reach out to you, understanding kind of what priority level you fall on their roster is probably one of the most important things that I've taken from what I've learned in that quality is better than quantity because they are going to be booking their top five or six speakers almost all the time. And really the scraps go out once everything is super full. And so that would be one thing to ask when you're interviewing them is, How many speakers do you represent? Do you have a certain top category list? And where do you see me fitting on that? Have you talked with these guys at all? Or is it just initial conversations? A little bit. The one speakers bureau that reached out, I just told them I was going to get back to them when I got back to Hawaii. And I looked at their list of speakers and they're all really impressive people. And then the agent is with a big talent agency in New York. But the agent said, you know, don't sign anything with a exclusive. And I talked to another public speaker named Grant Ralston, who does most of his own stuff as well. And he says, by all means, sign on to the Speakers Bureau as long as it's not like exclusive, because he said he's signed on to, you know, dozens of speaking bureaus and maybe gets one from each of them per year, where then he said he's doing multiple speeches per week, like five or six speeches per week right now, like online. So he's been really successful. And, And the pandemic actually helped him, he said, you know, because He's not having all this travel time. He's able to book a bunch of speeches and do them from home. Yeah. Those who have adjusted their sales definitely can catch the wind that's happening right now. And it's hard to find those well-paying in-person gigs, especially with kind of the flip-flop of the virus as it comes and goes in these different waves and wants. For your book, that's a great opportunity to market yourself. And to be honest, there's a lot of things you can do before you're actually published. Have you locked in the title and kind of the concept and do you know what you're doing with it or is it still in its infancy? I have a concept and I have an outline and, you know, a few chapters done and, and I have a bunch of stories that I want to fit into the book and characters and whatnot. Then I'm just trying to figure out where I want to include everything at this point. And it really just needs to be polished up to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not set on a title yet. You know, I think if I really worked hard on it, I could probably be done with it this year. Have you ever played around with live streaming on Facebook? I haven't. No. So one thing that just sort of makes me think live streaming could be a fun avenue for you. One is the hot pressure of being in the hot seat and the fact that it's actually going and it's real and it's live. I think you can thrive in that. The other is that it helps to break the algorithms to get noticed And thirdly, I could see you looking at these as the little small venue comedy settings that you see some of these other comedians do. 
without the pressure of a full hour live stream or something like that. But you have that live audience, you could get a little bit of real time feedback. But I would think that going live in little 10 or 15 minute blurbs might be a fun exercise, a way for you to test out some material and get some real sort of real feedback and getting people to actually see you in action. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. I have it. I'll have to watch a few of them and see kind of get an idea of how it works. But yeah, I've never actually tried that before. Yeah, Or just YouTube, just YouTube. Yeah. It. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind with what you're doing is just some of the visuals with your adventure, you know, seeing the images that were with the podcast that you were on with Good Jibes. There's so many fascinating, colorful underwater, on the water, over this. And I think utilizing all of the imagery that you have can be something that's different that not everybody has when you've been to 36 countries in seven and a half years. Yeah, the imaging definitely helps. And for me too, like I said, it was like like my last speech, I was hoping to use it as a like a place setter to like kind of, you know, I, I was practicing different things to say for the different slides and that way, it was just when the new slide came up, I just be like, "Oh, here's where I am." But yeah, and the speed, like I do have, you know, thousands of like really, really great photos that I've taken around the world, and yeah, it's definitely like visually stunning. And I mean, there's very few places in this world that are actually remote anymore. There's tens of thousands of people that go to Madagascar every month, and or not Madagascar. I'm sorry. Uh, the Galapagos Islands, you know, which is like perceived as a you know remote place. But to get pictures of animals like coconut crabs or baby red-footed boobies, there's only a couple places in the world that have those or like penguins in Antarctica. So it's cool to be able to put up stuff that's like National Geographic-esque, you know, and then talk about it and have the nice backdrop. And that leads me to kind of the final thing I'd love to dive in and talk with you about is your environmental activism. Maybe you can share a little bit about what spurred that in your trip. And I think that could be a really unique angle for your speaking. Tell me a little bit more about why environmental activism has become so important just in your life, I guess. For me, it's been a matter of just like trying to leave something better than you found it. You know, it's like our moms would never let us leave our room like worse every single day. And as I realized, you know, sailing around, I, you know, I started to realize my energy consumption, like really fine tune it because, you know, I'd only go through maybe you know, six gallons of propane per year, I'd use maybe 20 gallons of diesel. And, you know, the rest of my energy comes from solar and wind. And, you know, so I was able to like transform my life to having a very, very small carbon footprint, but it's still negative. I'm still, you know, absorbing carbon. I'm still buying things in plastic containers. You know, a lot of the things on the boat are made out of plastic and don't get recycled. And like, I'm still having potentially a negative impact on the planet, even though much less than most Western people. And like, it's none of it's sustainable. You can't have a negative impact with every single person on the planet and have that be sustainable. At some point, you know, we're going to have to shift that balance and trying to figure out a way for all of us to shift that balance and for people to start thinking differently and just stop thinking it's not my problem. You know, it's just a huge issue that it's like our moms raised us better. We should leave our room cleaner than we found it every day. And, you know, we're not going to have this problem. And we need to start looking at these things that are, and not just leave it to the next generation. It's just incredibly irresponsible. You know, one thing I'm going to just challenge you with, and you can think on it, is how do you combine the topics of resilience, of adventure, 
two, this environmental element. It almost makes me think of environmental resilience or sustain resilience, (laughs) (laughs) something that you can actually make up. And I think when you take two core topics like resilience and then the environment that, you know, on the surface level, they're two different things, right? You're talking about overcoming physical challenges and then you're talking about plastics in the ocean. Being able to combine those two, you're able to sort of look at them both in a new way. And one of the things that I find I guess I don't, I want to have the right word for it here. I guess so many speakers levitate towards these very generic topics. I speak on resilience. I speak <laughs> on leadership. I speak on sales. I speak on generational workforce. I speak on blah, 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 right? Yeah. It all kind of ends up sounding the same. And so I think you've got a really unique opportunity to blend your passions and these messages and everything from what mom tells you to do to the environment to you know learning as you go to humor like all these things like how can you mesh them together so that you're not just another resilient speaker you're the only person that's combining resilience when it comes to how you live your life including the environment including this including that and i'm just sort of spitballing here but I think that could be something for you to hang your hat on or something for you to look and differentiate just from my perspective. And if I were a, a meeting planner, which I'm not, it's just so many people just blend together and you have just such an opportunity. That would be one of my challenges. And that could really just create a lot of original core content that makes it fresh. Yeah, I'll have to think about it and write on it a bit. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea because I've usually tried to incorporate the environmentalism into the comments section my topics more about making choices with the situation that you have, you know, essentially adjusting the sales. And yeah, maybe if I could find a way to try to incorporate environmentalism and just leaving things better than you found it, you know, it's such a simple concept, but you know, we're really like the entire planet's failing at it horribly. There's very few people living sustainable lifestyle. I mean, you probably have the Centalese and maybe some of the small villages in Madagascar. But even there, there's horrible deforestation in Madagascar because of cooking fuel. You know, they're using the, they're cutting down the forest just for cooking fuel and with population increase, you know, it's, I mean, even there where they're probably some of the least, there's still a negative impact. And so, yeah, trying to find a way that, you know, we could try to live our lives and have a positive impact instead would, I guess, just having a positive impact would be probably the theme of the speech. Once you combine these elements, keep in mind, and this is for everyone listening here, how does what you're talking about drive business results, drive revenue for companies, help teams work better together, help leaders manage their teams better, help manage a remote working environment, right? Because we have to remember that whatever it is that our experience has that we want to talk about, whether it's sailing or environmentalism, the people who have the big bucks that are going to pay for you to come and speak to their company or at their major conference, always think of like, what does this translate to a return on the investment for somebody who's hiring me? Well, Hey, this has been fun to get to know you a little bit more. You know, I hope we stay connected. I'm here as an ally, just even as a sailor and a friend. And when you come down this way, we'll go sail over to big Geiger Cove and I'll show you my stomping ground. Dustin, any final words or thoughts you want to share with our listeners? I'm like on Facebook and Instagram. I'm the single-handed sailor. Or you could email me at saintdustin at yahoo.com. S-A-I-N-T-D-U-S-T-I-N at yahoo.com. 
I just, I actually really appreciate this talk. I learned a lot, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you're welcome. And the one thing that I love about sailing is that you can learn how to sail. Like you can do it like within a day or within a few YouTubes, but you can spend the rest of your life trying to get better at it. And I really feel that for me, speaking and skateboarding and golfing and all these things that like I enjoy doing, I think I enjoy doing them because at the core, it's something that I understand, but I can continue to learn and grow. And for me personally, I've had the most success by just meeting other speakers and becoming friends with them and swapping stories and advice. So, you know, let's just have this be the the first day sale of hopefully so many, but I think it's really powerful what you're doing. And I'm excited for you to embark on this new circumnavigation, your speaking navigation circumness. Batement. <laughs> right on, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for the talk. It was a pleasure. All right, for sure. And for all of you speakers out there or wannabe speakers, remember, if you speak in public, then you are a public speaker. It's a scientific fact that you cannot argue either. Whether you're in a sailboat or on a stage, you've got stories to share. So do it. Don't be selfish with your stories. If you like this episode, definitely like it. Give us a review. Connect with Dustin. Share it with some friends. Share it with your sailor friends. And if you want to hear more about Dustin, find the other podcasts that he's been on, like Good Jibes. You can check out latitude38.com forward slash Good Jibes. And Dustin, this show is sponsored by Speaker Hub. Speaker Hub is a platform where you can actually create a speaker profile. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you a VIP status to there. And it's a place where you can put all of your information about what you speak on and then Organizers have more chances to find you, and there's actually an engine that allows you to make outbound call for speakers applications, all with a couple clicks. So not only am I here for you, but Speaker Hub is another thing that you can put into your arsenal, and we'll get you all set up. But thanks everybody for listening, and if you don't have your Speaker Hub page either, why not go check it out? My name is Ryan, and we're sailing off into the oblivion to go pick up some trash and watch comedians. Thanks again, Dustin. All right, cheers, Ryan, aloha. All right.